Welcome to another Griffith University podcast. So welcome back everyone to this um, GAI seminar. And I'm really, really pleased today that we've got uh, Lily Mee, who's going to be presenting her work. Lily uh, is a lecturer in business strategy and innovation here at Griffith. She's got a pretty distinguished already uh, research record. She's also, of course, um, I think, made the mistake of being becoming a very distinguished teacher too. So <laughs> now a fellow of the Higher Education Academy has won teaching commendations and so on. So an all-round star, up-and-coming star within the Griffith Business School. And Lily's going to be presenting some work today on strategic responses to COVID-19 of Australian firms with some work that's been done in collaboration with colleagues. So Lily, over to you. have got about half an hour, 40 minutes or so. Right, Lily. Okay. Thank you so much, Ian, for the great you know, introduction. I, I thought I might do a little bit myself, but you already introduced, so thank you very much for that. Yeah, so today I'd like to share... The, uh, some of the preliminary findings that uh, me and my colleagues found in the project that we did last year is on strategic responses to COVID-19. And we investigated uh, Australian firms. We actually uh, have done a similar study investigating Chinese multinational enterprise as well. But I put these studies strategically, so I wrote a report on this one, and the other one is on the review, you know, in a journal. So, um, but um, I did see some interesting findings by comparing, you know, uh, firms from, from different countries. Yeah, so um, before I start, I just want to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land where we are meeting today, and also pay our respect to elders past, present, and emerging, and also the uh, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people. All right. Uh, so this is my wonderful team. I work with Heather and Hasha, who provided uh, a lot of support when I started, you know, looking at the report, how we're going to scope it, because my survey is actually much bigger than, than what we have in the report. I don't want to go to 100 pages, so they helped me a lot to actually think about what the story that I want to tell and, uh, yeah, and also review the report. It has been really helpful and also uh, glad to work with my colleagues. All right, so a little bit about me. Uh, you already introduced, so I think this, um, only a little bit about my background is I did my PhD in New Zealand in international business strategy management at Massey University at Auckland, and looking at uh, uh, what are the strategic intent that Chinese multinational enterprises are, uh, and, and also how they entered foreign markets at what time, and, and, uh, and also what's the intensity, the entry mode, etc., and also investigated the uh, firm performance. So. Essentially, my passion is about helping businesses remain competitive, uh, you know, in international markets, especially when they are trying to expand to a new market or when they are facing challenges. So I want to find out, you know, what are the, the, the smart strategies that firms can use to actually uh, stay ahead of their competitors. So. Uh, Going from my passion, I am working at the moment three projects. The first one is the one we are going to discuss today, strategic responses to crisis. And then going there, some of the preliminary findings um, has led me to think about what are the other countries, how they are doing, and also what are the scope 
um, they are actually increasing or trying to in, uh, reduce in their international business. So you, you will see some of the findings is related to my the following two studies to investigate the diversification strategies of MEs in China and the U.S. and also what about the digital transformation and competitive advantage of the firms that we have in Australia. So uh, these three uh, studies are interconnected. So the first one are some of the preliminary findings that lead to the second and the third study. A little bit about the study and the background. Uh, we initiated this study at the end of 2020, uh, supported by Griffith Business School's Early Career uh, Research Grant and also Griffith Asia Institute's support for the report writing as well. Uh, we started connected data in uh, about August to uh, uh, October last year when things start to recover, and I thought it's a great time to reflect a little bit more about uh, what uh, everything has been doing. Rather than <clears throat> I got the advice from a, a chief editor of a journal of not to do study when you know when COVID started, and he said because you, you will not get the answer, <laughs> or, or everyone is is um, is in that survival mode, uh, you know, kind of cutting cost. But uh, although we find similar patterns, but we do see there are some innovations happening, you know, like close to a year after the, the start of COVID. What we are trying to find for this, uh, for this study is what are the strategies or different types of strategies Australian firms used to respond to COVID in international markets and how firms have been performing to, to date up to last year and also uh, what are their perceptions of the current environment in, in Australia. Have they been supported uh, you know, by the government and also what about competition and, and also the, the dynamism in, in, the, in, in the domestic market. All right, so our participants uh, are 360 Australian firms who are doing international business in overseas and we sent out uh, quite a number of surveys and returned uh, um, almost a half of them with the help of Danata. It's a research service provider that I, I hired. And also uh, I have been reaching out to Australian China Business Council uh, for them to distribute the surveys to their members as well. So we have quite a lot of uh, participants who have a, a senior level uh, position in the company. Uh, for example, uh, more than 50% has uh, senior management, and uh, you know, uh, uh, one third are in the executive team. A lot of them actually don't have a lot of experience in international business, but we, we do have a, a good, uh, you know, uh, distribution of experience between you know five to ten years, and also 12, 20 years and and above. And uh, all the firms um, has been coming from different states, but the highest one we have are from New South Wales and Victoria. That's, I think, uh, consistent with what we, we have from uh, ABS, you know, where uh, the most firms are located. A lot of them are private firms, again, consistent with what, what we, we know uh, in the market. But uh, one thing that, that does surprise me is our uh, participants actually, uh, most of them are larger firms rather than small, you know, SMEs. I guess perhaps SMEs, either they didn't, you know, fill in the survey or 
they don't have that much international business uh, in the overseas market due, due to COVID because the first screening question that I, that I asked is, uh, do you still have some international business in overseas market, whether it's exporting or, or joint venture or, or having a wholly owned subsidiary, but some, for, some form of uh, you know, international ventures in overseas. And so I'm not quite sure if it's because of that, you know, we limited the participant from uh, SMEs. A lot of them are actually quite experienced. Uh, I'm from the firm level, so they are larger firms with uh, more than 10 years of international business experience in overseas market. And these are our participation groups. All right. So about the distribution of industries, uh, we actually look into how firms responded to COVID, not only uh, looking at the overall strategies, but also breaking it down into different industries. So I, I thought that's why it's important that we know, uh, you know what are the um, uh, industries that's highly uh, represented in the survey and what, what are the um, uh, that that are not very representative. So most of our uh, participants are from the service industry. Uh, this actually made me think why we're having this and also the importance of service industry uh, in Oceania sector. Uh, so at the moment we are looking at another study that I initiated but not with, Griffith, uh, with another partner in, in New Zealand looking at uh, the digital transformation of uh, B2B service platforms and how they actually responded in international markets. So that's another study we are thinking to, uh, to, you know, to start just looking at the service industry might uh, represent largely in, in, you know, uh, in how, how firms respond to COVID. And the other ones are manufacturing and also uh, finance, insurance and uh, real estate industries. Um, but one thing I, I want to stress here, because we do find a lot of um, extreme findings from the agriculture industry, uh, and uh, we we have a very small, um, you know, number of firms from agriculture industries, and uh, um, and they 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 did present some of the uh, you know uh, extreme or or alarming findings um, in in my survey. So just want to put it here. Uh, it might be because of uh, the small number of respondents, but when I check uh, the uh, distribution of industries, it's actually consistent with the ABS data. Uh, we have relatively small number of merchandise exporters from agriculture and mining industry, so it's actually quite in, you know, consistent. So my findings, I, I guess, still hold the value, although we have a small number of agriculture and mining industries and in our uh, participation pools. Alrighty, and um, what are the over, overall changes that we look at um, for the, uh, and you know, across all the industries? Uh, how they actually adjusted their uh, overseas scope? Um, are they having more uh, foreign subsidiaries or they are actually exiting that market? Uh, what about their employee numbers as that and how they are spending their money, uh, whether they are uh, investing more in R&D, 
or investing more or you know producing new products. So those are the things that overall we look at to determine what kind of strategies firms are, are using. And overall, we find that there is a trend of retrenchment. So meaning uh, we do see more than, more than a third of our firms actually uh, cutting uh, numbers of foreign sub uh, subsidiaries, asset, you know, R&D, and products across across you know uh, more than one third of our industry. But the most alarming one is the employee number. Almost half of the industries are actually cutting their employment. And here we asked their full-time equivalent in, in employment, not, not the part-time ones. So I think this is a quite a, a alarming for even when we are having our uh, job keeper, you know, uh, ground, and this is still happening across all the industries. But uh, we can have a look at which industries actually uh, are, are most um, 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 problem problematic in their employment rate. Uh, let's have a look at uh, um, the the positive side as well. There are, you know, some firms, although uh, about one quarter. And who are actually actively innovating, investing in R&D, and also in expanding in overseas market as well, hiring more. So I guess there are uh, both sides, although more firms are actually using the retrenchment uh, strategy, while uh, less firms are using innovation strategies. Uh, we also have quite a lot of firms are persevering, so meaning they don't have any changes at all. Um, from the literature, literature I read, it could be a good strategy as well. You just need to keep doing what you're doing. Don't change because it might be risky, uh, you know, when the environment is uncertain. You're not quite sure what changes you are supposed to make. And also, it might be good to wait and see what happens with your competitors if they are out and you, are, you persevered and you, you, you might have more opportunities later on to actually excel uh, when the environment becomes more stable. So it makes sense. When I look at the data, we have you know, almost 40% of our firms using the um, persevering strategy, which means they didn't change much you know, across um, all of these different variables that I put in here. All right. So when I talk about the changes, I forgot to mention that I asked them to uh, evaluate what are the changes that they, they made in comparison of what happened pre-COVID and since the start of COVID. So um, uh, before December uh, 2019 until um, about August, um, October 2021, last year. So those, those are the you know, questions that I, I asked them to, to evaluate their changes. Okay, so let's start from employee number, which has the the biggest decrease uh, in in strategies. I break it down into you know all the eleven industries that we investigated. Uh, what we find is um, the the retail industry, the wholesale, the manufacturing, and also construction industries are those that actually had uh, the biggest amount of decrease in their employment. And the mining industry are booming. 
as we know, they, are, uh, they still hold quite a lot of uh, exporting revenue for Australian, our you know, most critical, I think, uh, industries in, in the um, exporting sector. Let's have a look at the asset as well. Again, I broke it down. Um, in terms of asset, asset we see uh, an increase and decrease uh, I mean, sorry, uh, we actually see a decrease and no change for agriculture industry. And that's what I mean extreme. There are some, some other findings in the agriculture industry as well, which is quite, uh, you know, quite unique from other industries. Um, none of our participants, you know, uh, answered uh, increase uh, in their business. So that means they are not actively expanding uh, they are not looking at going to another overseas market. Um, half of them are persevering, and half of them are selling, selling their assets. As we can see, some farmers, uh, you know, need to sell, and also the, the wine businesses also facing similar situations here. But the service industry um, and also the uh, finance and construction, we see a little bit of positive signs as well as the mining industry as well uh, in terms of uh, you know increasing their uh, assets. Let's have a look at uh, innovation and also um, through R&D expenditure and also through uh, the creation of new products. What I find is uh, the mining industry, uh, we can see a consistent picture that they are hiring more employees, they are also in investing more in the R&D, perhaps in the, I guess, in the extraction or the process technology. So they are aiming at, you know, more kind of high-tech end uh, in, in, in this industry, especially when it's uh, valued so high in our exporting sector. Um, but the wholesale, the wholesalers, the transportation, and also the manufacturing industries, uh, they look like they are missing missing out or falling behind. Um, I wonder if we really want to call our manufacturers back to Australia. Uh, we need to think about who we want them back, right? Uh, if we want the high-tech manufacturing to be back in Australia, we really need to start to look at, uh, you know, how we uh, we need to start thinking about R&D in this factor because we cannot pull all of this, uh, you know, low-end manufacturing back to uh, Australia. If we look back to the employment, uh, manufacturing firms actually uh, decreased. It's the highest one. Yeah, if we look at uh, the employment, they, they cut uh, the highest number of employees in the manufacturing industry. While at the same time, we are looking at is they are not investing in R&D. I think it is going to be problematic if we want to move, you know, manufacturing back to Australia. No employees, well, no high-end uh, manufacturing. So that's something I thought we, we might need to uh, look into. Also for transportation, <coughs> if we have manufacturing industry and also mining industry, we need, you know, uh, our transportation and also public utilities to, to support these industries. So uh, again, I think here we might need to do a, a bit more work as well. And wholesalers as well, um, you know, how they can innovate um, in terms of, uh, you know, staying ahead of their competitors.
Right. So in in terms of new uh, products, it has similar picture here. Uh, again, uh, I think you know the finance industry has been doing well uh, in terms of coming up with new, uh, I guess, services for for people since you know COVID started. Um, while the the mining industry, again, you know, similar to what we find um, for R and D, they also looking at um, you know actively to create new products. Um, but agriculture again is lagging behind. Yeah, perhaps because they are not actively uh, expanding to overseas market, they are also selling their assets. So they are not looking, you know, into uh, creating new products anyway. So it has a consistent pattern uh, for the agriculture business. And the next one that, that I want to show is how uh, Australian firms are, you know, are experiencing of foreign policies. So I asked them, what is the impact you receive from foreign policies in terms of your decision? to stay or exit a market. So from uh, this question, 82% of the participants said uh, they need to exit their market because of foreign policies and international relations. So I think this is a really, you know, uh, critical and look at the you know, agriculture industry, very extreme, all of them. <laughs> And, you know, and need to exit their market or, or probably cannot continue because of, um, you know, these tensions between between countries. And uh, these, we, we see this pattern actually across all of these industries. The, all the red part you see actually answered yes for this question. So from here, it brings me to think about the government, yes, they need to work harder in terms of forming good relationships with our partners, but what can firms do as well? Because I study firms. So I start to think, what can firms do, you know, apart from, um, you know, government uh, trying to build a relationship, can firms also work into uh, creating more diplomatic relationships? That we see, uh, I read some paper about uh, corporate diplomacy, and that's the area that start to make me think maybe that's in the future of my, you know, research area, actually to combine these um, international re relations with international business through corporate strategy and see how firms can actually form a positive relationship with stakeholders in overseas market. And in that way, they can actually reduce the negative impact from the, you know, the, the, the tensions between nations and I, I actually spoke to a couple of exporters in the agriculture industry they had some negative impact to start off uh, due, you know since the start of COVID but after a few months she is able to uh, actually increase her, her sales in China uh, she did something very smart of course changing her packages and all that but uh, she did talk about she is able to do business in China because she has strong ties in China with her, uh, you know, suppliers. And second, second thing is, other people cannot do it, so there's less com competition actually for her. Uh, so her suppliers or you know, um, the hotels and restaurants who uh, you know uh, is able to recover. To reach out to her, you know, can we buy some 
you know, uh, meat and also uh, seafood from Australia from you? And are you able to ship it here? And she also has connection with the shipping in industry in Australia, be able to ship it to Australia, uh, to China, although it did take much longer and did cost much more, but uh, uh, she's able to actually persevere, make some uh, innovations, and you know keep working in the Chinese market. So that's what I found. You know, corporate diplomacy is something that's uh, that's actually in her blood. Okay, so just showing the industries. Um, what about the perceptions of? Uh, dynamic environment in Australia. Again, we, we see a very consistent pattern that, you know, there are lots of changes in, in the environment across all of these industries. While the, uh, our participants in the agriculture industry see um, the, the changes impacts them the, the most significantly. So that's, again, very consistent with what we have found before. Yeah. Um, Although you know we see agricultural business uh, are impacted a lot from foreign um, policies, when we ask them what about the uh, financial support you receive from from the government, and a lot of them, actually, almost seventy percent of them strongly agree and say yes, we did receive financial support from uh, from the government. And also, their cash flow is looking good as well in the agriculture business when they ask this question. So I thought maybe the problem is not whether you get support or you can uh, actually uh, um, continue your business as usual uh, in the domestic market. It's really about how they can export to overseas market. So it, it looks like they are, they are actually happy with you know, the financial support um, they they receive you know from uh, from the Australian government. Okay, but if we look at financial performance, the retailers, wholesalers, and also the uh, manufacturing industries are not doing so well. Um, again, the same pattern. Uh, when I ask them, you know, what about uh, how how do you rate your success? Uh, in in you know in terms of uh, financial performance in comparison with your man, uh, with your competitors do you think you have advantage or not and our retail and wholesale and also manufacturing industry said they feel like they don't have much adva uh, advantage uh, when when they look at their uh, you know um, cash flows and finances and probably these are the ones who need a bit more help in terms of financial support uh, from the government. Yeah, and finally, after looking at the finance, I am also curious to find out what about their uh, capacity in terms of uh, technological innovation. And what I found is um, overall it's okay, but again, looks like our retail, wholesale, and manufacturing industries are a bit of lagging behind in terms of technological capacity, and especially when we see, uh, you know, online shopping, um, you know, is uh, increasing since the start of COVID, and if we can take advantage of, uh, you know, uh, of this uh, e-commerce uh, to uh, expand to overseas market, it could be a huge opportunity for, you know, for us in, in Australia. So I, th these are the areas that I thought we might need to work on a little bit more. 
Yeah, so I touched on a lot of the uh, recommendations already, but overall, we have some uh, reflections on you know what the government could do and could help our uh, you know Australian exporters and also what businesses can can re reflect in terms of their own strategies. So first is why we're having more retrenchment and less innovation. So can uh, government provide a special scheme or you know kind of a tax in incentive for firms to innovate? On top of you know providing this um, financial support or job seeker or job keeper, and and also uh, especially for our manufacturing industries, right? Um, and also our uh, mining and agriculture and manufacturing industries, uh, we see a, a large number are selling their assets, and so probably we need to look into who they are selling to especially for the uh, agriculture uh, in terms of national security. So, so probably put a little bit more um, scrutiny in these areas as well. Um, agriculture industries, we, we can see that none of them are expanding. So can we actually um, promote a little bit more for them to enter the foreign markets? And we talk about a lot um, you know uh, how we can help them to to form strong ties, or can agricultural businesses come up together to form sort of like an association, and together they might become stronger um, in international markets rather than working as silos while uh, you, you know rely on your personal ties. And we also see a pattern of low R and D. Uh, expenditure, uh, especially in wholesale, uh, transportation, and manufacturing, uh, which I think we, we could uh, you know, work on that a bit more, especially if we have our mining industry booming, we will need uh, you know, relevant transportations and, and also uh, bring our manufacturing firms back. We will need, you know, uh, need to look at who are the ones that we really want to bring back. Can we invest a bit more in the R&D? And also for the firms that I mentioned in, in retail, wholesale, and manufacturing, who are suffering a little bit more than others in, in terms of financial performance, we could focus a little bit more on that rather than have uh, one-size-fits-all uh, criteria for them to apply this uh, support from the government. We probably need to look at, uh, uh, you know, some uh, uh, priority areas. All right. And for firms, which is my strength, you know, when I look at firms, um, I, I'm, I am a strong believer of um, risks or danger um, and opportunities come at the same time. Well, uh, for the ones who uh, who see opportunities, uh, are are actually likely to to be more successful um, during this uh, crisis. So uh, when we see there's more businesses using this retrenchment and persevering industries, um, I I will start to think: What about uh, innovation? Uh, can we still innovate during this? you know, uh, very uncertain and volatile uh, period, and how do we do it? Can we, f for example, uh, through forming a strategic alliance, even with our partners, but during this time, 
you know, I mean, uh, competitors. You know, during this time, we can probably, um, you know, work together to find a, a solution rather than cut, uh, you know, slice the cake. We can grow the cake together. And also, um, what about open innovation with stakeholders and do not need to rely on your, you know, kind of shareholders, but also thinking of how uh, your, you know, your uh, stakeholder network can also contribute in terms of uh, different ways of innovation. Um, for example, in terms of digital business model innovation. Again, this is what I talk about already: is when other firms are exit, uh, exiting a foreign market, the competition in that market may be low. So it's actually a good time to enter new market. And I've, I spoke to uh, um, a person who helps um, in, in, in investors um, in purchasing new business in Australia and in overseas market. And she said she has never been so busy uh, you know, since the start of COVID because a lot of uh, merger and acquisition going on. So I think this is actually a good timing to you know, buy in business as well, especially for firms who are looking into uh, the industry that they couldn't enter before. Um, but overall, uh, we do see that Australian firms are doing well, actually, uh, um, compared to um, other countries. So uh, we, we do have the advantage to expand a bit more uh, in, in overseas market and also and uh, expand our global footprint. I think it's a critical time for Australia to, to do that. Um, the reason for me to, to, to say it is looking at this one, we're actually having surplus in, uh, in the trade balance um, um, percentage for global trade for Australia. While all the, you know, some other countries, for example, e you know, U.S. actually are having a deficit. So we are not, not that bad, and also there's a slight increase there in 2021 as well. So I do believe there are a lot more opportunities for Australian firms. Um, other reflections could be um, how can firms remain competitive and agile in this, uh, you know, VOCA environment. Uh, we probably will not have financial support all the time from the government. Then, what the firms can do to be, you know, competitive? Um, can they rely on or tap into their international network, their subsidiaries? Um, can they also uh, think about uh, forming, uh, you know, uh, ties with uh, with actually uh, international firms or? or government associations to improve their corporate uh, diplomacy. And also, what about domestic market as well? If you cannot go out, can you uh, stay uh, you know, innovative within your domestic market? And once the opportunities are there, you can you know, uh, rebound in overseas market. Yes, yeah, so that's um, pretty much all I have. But I want to conclude with uh, a quote uh, that's you know kind of a Chinese thinking as well that I discussed already. Uh, the word crisis in Chinese is um, written in a way that we acknowledge both danger and opportunity. And as I said, I, 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 I really believe wherever there is a crisis, there is opportunity for you know, uh, a small group of uh, people there as well. 
So I do see the uh, opportunities are, are, are bright, and especially when the I think the uh, international relationship also is uh, getting better for Australia. So um, yeah, so let's let's hope for the best, and and also uh, looking you know looking at the, the, the areas that we we can improve on um, from the government point of view and also for for firms. So yeah, that's that's all I have today. Thank you very much. For more Griffith University podcasts, go to www.griffith.edu.au forward slash podcasts.